Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Bellicone. You are listening to episode 155, and tonight we are covering the top five best sound production in film. Um, so, Frank, this is something that you have kind of we put on the back burner for maybe like a year or more now um, that you've had this idea in mind to do this. And uh, so what what made you want to do this, to looking at sound production, and um, how are things maybe going to be a little bit different tonight? Um. So I'm a really, I find sound production to be really interesting in movies um, because I think there's something that like not every film can capture um, in terms of like building ambiance and kind of like adding to the narrative through the way that sound is used in a movie. Um, and I've always been a really big fan of um, not not so much scores like i like scores but i really love like a good soundtrack in a movie mm-hmm. but i also think that it's um it's really rare when a movie can take and just use ambient sound uh to kind of like build the same effect as like a good soundtrack so one of my favorite soundtracks in any movie is um boogie nights i think is almost perfect in terms of the way the soundtrack is done mm-hmm. um and you look at a movie like that and like how much how much is added by just the way the soundtrack is used in certain scenes and how you like mentally kind of like link those scenes with um you know with with the music that's being played um and i think that films that really do something special with sound production i think they have the same effect where like mm-hmm. um and i'll give you some examples of things that um well, well, we'll get into that in a minute, but so I felt like in order to talk about them, it's not so much important to talk about <clears throat> the narrative of the movie or the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already talked about a couple of these movies already anyway. Yeah. Um, so we'll just do like brief descriptions of the plot. Um, and in some cases, I don't even think that's necessary, but you know, right. like we'll talk about like the plot lines of the of the movies and then just get into how the the sound production is used to kind of enhance those plot lines or basically like drive the movie along um for instance one of the reasons why i love blowout so much is because of the way that the palma uses travolta's character's job in the movie of being you know like a sound effects artist um and also makes that a central point of the the plot itself which is to show like how he uses that you know his his craft to kind of like be an amateur sleuth to solve this murder right um so i thought about putting blowout on the list but we've talked about blowout i think fairly recently yeah yeah, like within the past like year or so um another movie that i think uses sound to great effect but I didn't really want to talk about it is um, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, like the Normandy Beach invasion uh, scene. Um, but even the stuff that's in like when they're kind of on their own, like going through the towns and stuff. Like I just think there's there's a certain way that Spielberg uses like those ambient sounds of like the emptiness and the bullets and 
you know the sound of like boots on gravel and stuff mm-hmm. that's just really um super effective in that movie i just don't know that i have it in me to watch that movie again necessarily um like i think i find that movie to be very very much like an assault on your senses which i think you know is on purpose sure. but just makes it in my opinion not like the most enjoyable movie watching experience um and then like you think about horror so and horror like more relies on score but you think about stuff like friday the 13th and you have like that very simple like (sighs) which Mm -hmm. is part of the score but is also just like an ambient sound effect that's used to kind of let you know like a an auditory clue that like you're about to see something happen with jason right it puts Um, you on edge yeah or like in texas chainsaw massacre just the the tuning fork you know which in and of itself is not like an upsetting sound but in combined with the way that hooper does it with those images it makes you feel like kind of sick to your stomach to hear it Mm -hmm. it's like there's a twisting and turning to that sound that um, like you mean that like kind of i can't do it but that metallic tearing sound almost yeah like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah like those kind of things okay yeah so that was them that was him using a tuning fork on something i can't remember what um but basically just like you know a simple like instrument that he used a pretty great effect um so there's small things like that and that's the kind of stuff that sticks with me a lot and so in the five movies we're going to talk about tonight I think the most important thing is to discuss um, just how the the director uses sound um, and kind of manipulates you with sound. Um, and sometimes that includes the way that like the vocal tracks are mixed, um, the way that they approach like different segments of movie, their movies sometimes where you're not always going to hear, you know, like maybe it's like mixed a different way um in a different setting um and that's especially true with like the first movie on the list and then also for certain movies like what was the what was the legacy kind of of like the innovation of the way that the director used sound in the movie um and so we'll talk about that too so a little bit different again than what we normally would do but i think it's an interesting topic and you know if we only ever do it once and that's fine but just something that I, I really enjoyed. Like, I enjoyed watching all five of these movies, even though every single one was, I mean, usually I've I've always seen these movies, the movies before for the podcast, but some of these movies I've seen, you know, right. a large number of times. Right. Um, and even the two that I haven't seen as much still was um, the second time and the third time, respectively, for me watching these movies, so... So this is something that I remember probably not long after we met you talking about the idea of sound and because you used to read about directors and stuff, you would know a lot of things about like, you know, how sound was created and maybe I know the answer to this and maybe I don't, but I remember one of the earliest ones you talking to me about and like explaining to me about how they created sound mm. was David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. And so I was a little surprised that, lynch wasn't represented on here but is that because there's something we're talking about soon yeah and that's the one that um that movie so 
not, not to spoil anything, but we're <laughs> going to talk about Eraserhead on the horror of 70s. Um, and one of my, like, I used to like to read about film a lot. I'm not as big of a fan of reading about, like, directors and stuff anymore because I just find that it just kind of disappoints me a lot of the time and makes me like their work less. But um, Lynch was incredibly innovative because he had to be in the way that he made his, you know, his um, basically scored and mixed his movies. Um, like, one of the things is they would put a microphone in, like, wrapped in a plastic bag in a bathtub and then, like, hit things against the bathtub to, pro you know, produce, like, a really um, ominous but, like, muffled sound. And I always thought that was um, really interesting and just the different things that he would do. Um, shit, I think... I can't remember if it's John Zorn, but there's... Um, I've talked to our friend, our friend Ryan is a really big fan of Titanic, and we've talked about this, before. we talked about it on the Best 30 Minutes podcast, but when that still existed, but um, there was a guy who made an entire album where he took the music that had played as the Titanic sank, and basically um, had an orchestra play it inside a... Um, water tank like a water tank on the roof of a building mm -hmm. um and then did certain things with like the way they recorded it to um basically make it sound like they were playing underwater the whole time and so it's like little things like that that you know people do in sound design that i think is really impressive right um and i i think when we talk about a racer head we'll definitely go over like the sound in that movie because i think that's one of the things that really creates that fucking like ridiculously uncomfortable tension that exists like in that movie right i mean a lot of it does come from the way that lynch you know like mixes <clears throat> mixes the score to it yeah um yeah so all right um do you want to go ahead and get started then yeah all right so number five on your list is 1987's Full Metal Jacket, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Matthew Modine, Adam Baldwin, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Arlie Army. has 92% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% from audience. So uh, what is it particularly about this movie? So I love Full Metal Jacket. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe my favorite war movie of all time. Mm -hmm. Definitely my favorite war movie about the Vietnam War of all time. Um, Full Metal Jacket is kind of set in three acts. So there's the Paris Island Boot Camp Act, and then there's the um, kind of fresh in Vietnam with Matthew Modine, like Tet Offensive up to going into um, uh, Ho Chi Minh or whatever. And then the third act, which is the um, being sent out into the, you know, into the fight with um, the platoon and kind of the loss of innocence there for Modine changing from being like the Joker character to, you know, like more serious with the loss of his friends and mm -hmm. having to being forced to take a life. Um, so I think what Full Metal Jacket is probably most famous for is uh arlie army's character of the drill instructor um 
something that became like super iconic for Ermi, yeah. um, to the point where uh, it became a defining like character for him, where he never was really able to play anything else. Yeah. Um, and and also things that enter pop culture too, right? I sure. Mean, so I do want to talk about that a little bit, and that's not got nothing to do with the sound design, but there's something I want to say about that in particular. Um, but we'll wait until after. So when you start this movie and you're in the boot camp scene, um, the boot camp like portion of the movie, it's all very classically scored and mixed in the sense that like um it really captures like the sound of like the reverie and of their you know it's filled with like the i don't know what you call it like the cants almost or like the the chants that they do like the, i don't know but I don't, like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so it's a lot of like statico percussion and a lot of um just like march in time type of like score that goes there and then the voices are mixed where they're very loud like everyone is very distinct and sharp especially ermy who i feel like um, and I don't know a lot about sound production from like a technical standpoint, but I always feel like Ermi's vocals are mixed to be louder than everyone else's, where mm-hmm. his voice is like very much um, like right and left and center channel and like straight at you. And so like it's very piercing. Um, I think that's particularly true in the um, scene, like the bunks, like where they sleep and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. And I think so we'll talk about this really quick and this isn't about sound production but i always was under the impression that kubrick's intention with this was to make this character a representation of everything that's wrong with military service Mm -hmm. in terms of the person that places the value of the regimented life of a military man above individual human rights and you know Sure. like personal identity like it's about driving your identity out and it's about turning you into a killer it's you know like let me see your war face and you know mm-hmm. the core will be alive after you and when you're dead like you can't die until the court like all, all that stuff um and so i really like growing up i mean obviously as a kid like you see that character and it's funny a lot of times you know like the things he says like you'll repeat them i don't know if it was like that for you but no absolutely i mean that's what i, th- I think i meant when i said it entered pop culture yeah. like it became like a meme kind of like so you you watch this movie now and you think like oh my god like how many things have i heard him say that i've heard come out of like other characters mouths and other movies like mm-hmm. so many times or people that i know um to the point where you know he played that character so much in terms of a, like he had a show I think on Lifetime where he played that character Discovery or something and then right um just in television commercials and in other appearances and it becomes almost like the most popular character in the movie which is crazy because it's he's ostensibly the villain of the movie and even though like he gets killed in um the end of the first act like he's the Viet Cong is faceless in full metal jacket you know they don't do anything to make it like there's no Viet Cong character that's a villain until the very very end of the movie with the sniper 
and even then that's done to illustrate that this is just like a young girl this is just a person and somebody that was you know defending her country and it just like that humanizes you know the the Viet Cong and it also like puts in stark reflection like how terrible it is that joker has to kill her mm-hmm. you know this guy who's basically been a pacifist for the entire movie has to now like take the life of a young girl um basically in order to not get like murdered by his own squad mates or to whatever mm-hmm. i mean i don't know like what purpose you think it served anyway so back to the sound production but anyway so arlie ermy becoming like the central figure and the one that everybody like clings to and laughs about like it's really kind of like a disgusting reflection on our society i think that like that's the person that we gravitate to is the guy that's ostensibly the villain of the movie you know that we're like laughing about this man whose character through his aggression and disregard for like you know personal respect or you know humanity like drove a man to murder him and to kill himself so i don't know yeah i've never it's interesting and i think we can talk a bit about this in the next movie as well yes i think he's the villain but there 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 is a complexity to to it to some degree in the fact that he is he's a monster who's training them to some degree to be monsters in order for them to be able to survive right because he can't let them go out into the you know into the jungle and be soft right because they'll never make it like both mentally and physically like they have to have the humanity driven out of them yeah but at the same point i don't know it's that that is an interesting question and we will talk about that with the next movie so anyway so you've got like again like the static like repetition of sound and like almost like the um the military march of like the opening scene mm-hmm. so then they go into where they're at the camp um in their first assignment or early on in their careers in the marines um joker and rafter man who become now like the two main characters of the movie for the most part um and you get a lot more of like a mellow mix of sound um there's like a lot of soundtrack at this point in the movie um but they also like the way that he mixes the sound of like the military machine so one of the one of the scenes in the movie that's probably i think to me like the most memorable is them flying in the helicopter and having the conversation with the guy that's the machine gunner Mm -hmm. and you have this you know kubrick frames it where you only see him like just shooting a gun and he's just kind of like cackling and like you know it's like stack, 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 stack. and then like that becomes the overwhelming sound in the channel where like you're struggling to hear you know modine talk to this man um so it kind of like orally like puts you into the position of like being in that helicopter and then the horror of like kubrick like holds it for such a long time like just in between you know single cuts between modine and raptor man like looking at um the gunner and then turning back to the gunner like answering their questions and just like shooting the gun Mm -hmm. and kubrick holds it for so long until he like finally rotates the camera and shows you that this man is just shooting people working in like the rice fields right um civilians uh just like killing them um and then the line that uh what is it like 
I'm already like so some of them I'm already being in hell or whatever. I can't remember mm-hmm. what the exact line is. But anyway, so you get through that and you get into when they're in camp. Um and then again, there's like the first real combat of the movie, like the way that Kubrick mixes that sound is it very very much like drowns out like everything else in the movie. So there's just the way that the sound of machine gun fire and explosions and he'll turn it and then like you know give you this like oral like i don't even know how to say it like overwhelming like oral you know like attack almost like an assault Mm -hmm. and then immediately like cut down to like a really quiet moment right or he'll have like a moment with like elements of comedy but the comedy is always like couched in the horror of like what these people are experiencing in vietnam um both of the disregard of like another person's humanity and you know i mean one of the, again another thing that's like quoted so much in this movie is like you got girlfriend vietnam you know me love you long time all that mm-hmm. stuff but here's these men like negotiating down the price of a prostitute for no other reason than they're really just kind of bored and just hanging out and it's like okay well, we can kill like a few minutes here but i'm not going to pay 15 dollars. that's too much like to boku for 15 like you know right. you gotta be um and those scenes are mixed in a way where it's like almost like it doesn't even feel like you're watching a war movie like it's very normal city sounds it's very like even the way that it's mixed and then when they get out into um which is actually really like to me the best part of the movie where they're um going into the bombed out city and they're kind of like following behind the tanks um when the lieutenant gets killed uh before cowboy takes over um it's very much like i would imagine i I would like to find like an interview maybe with spielberg because i think that's where he really like drew his inspiration for private ryan was from the way that those scenes are filmed and the way the sound is mixed in them like the way the bullets track when you hear them like from channel to channel um you'll get like only like left channel or right channel in terms of like the way that the tanks are mixed in it and it really is very it's a very like persistent grind of unpleasant sound right Mm -hmm. And it's made to make you uncomfortable and made to really like put you in the moment. And it all builds up to the scene where they take out the sniper and it's this like, you know, young Vietnamese girl. And then it's like, everything is so quiet except for their, their vocals or like, you know, the voices of the characters and her labored breathing as she's like sucking like from a chest wound. And it's really so effective the way that he does it and it makes like the tension in that scene so amazing um and then to have it end with them singing the mickey mouse song as they like you know again like back to like the military like precision of like the march and everything Mm -hmm. but to the mickey mouse song it's just a um really well done and really effective and um it's really difficult to watch movies like full metal jacket i think in our modern age because I think in a lot of ways, like war movies have evolved and maybe it's because Kubrick was not an American, but um, 
a lot of our war movies, especially in the eighties, are very nationalistic, like very pro-American, and there's not a lot of that sentiment here. And it's not that it's even anti-American; it's just anti-war. Um, but he never portrays the people who are pro-war as necessarily being like. Aside from again, I think that I think that the drill instructor is like the villain of this film, but you know. Modine has a conversation later with the general um, who takes umbrage with the fact that Modine's wearing a peace sign. Mm-hmm. And that guy, like, I mean, he's ridiculous when you think of him as a character, but at the same time, like, he's not, like, wrong. You know, he's just fully dedicated to the idea of, like, winning this war or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's another one where his vocals, like, his voice track is mixed very similar to the way Ermi's is mixed where it becomes like it takes over all the channels and it becomes like this booming like direct you know even though he's got kind of like a high-pitched like southern twang to his accent um it just like takes over everything and modine's is like mixed down to being like almost submissive and lower because he can't be the you know he can't be a joker anymore because this guy has no sense of humor about what's happening around him (laughs) yeah um so anyway so yeah um Full Metal Jacket was a huge influence on me as a kid. Um, I saw this movie at a pretty early age, like 10 or 11 for the first time. Um, And just has always like stuck with me. Um, Again, I think that this is, especially in the performance of the supporting characters, you know, like um, Baldwin and uh, Rafter Man and Joker and Cowboy and like all of the characters mixing together, like these personalities of these people who, are dealing with an incredibly terrible situation in the only way that each of them knows how and just the subtle differences between the way that those people act and some it's a brilliant film i love love full metal jacket it's interesting too that kubrick shot all of it on like sound studios in london you know britain i know like they're not ever in any kind of like it's crazy yeah subtropical or you know um Pacific, whatever Ring of Fire or whatever that area is called, like setting, you know, it's all just on like British studios, but you mm-hmm. can never tell. Like it feels like, you know, they're in Vietnam. So, yeah. <clears throat> I, um, it's funny, like, uh, I'm more interested in hearing what you have to say about the sound stuff because for some reason, even though I'm an auditory learner, I don't pay attention to sound. I like take it for granted almost. Um, and it's rare that sound sticks out to me. Uh, so the things that like typically stick out to me are things like um, Lynch sticks out to me all the time because it's like just so unique and weird. And um, but like Hitchcock stands out to me um, a lot and those kind of things. But um, so I really like try to pay attention to the sound more while watching all these movies. Some of the movies I've seen like multiple times, I kind of just like didn't even like look at the screen. Sometimes I just tried to like listen to it, but. Um, this movie, like I, I watched, and and I was still trying to like listen. Maybe the visuals like kind of get in the way or something for me. But like, there's too much attention I need to pay like visually to something that I can't hear the sound as well. But um, 
I don't want to get into this, but it's like we've always had this like argument, like kind of of like you know where I, I'm not a big fan of the second half of this movie. But it's like I think one of the reasons that the first half of the movie sticks out to me so much is is partly due to the sound, that very small space, um, uh, you know, like uh, God, what's it called, Frank? Like the dormitory or whatever. Like uh, what what do they call that in the military? Um, oh, the um whatever yeah i can't uh, remember the bunks, yeah, but it, like, yeah, like, whatever. Whatever. yeah but it's like so in that space it's like you hear the squeaking of the floors um at times like yeah. when they're walking like there's the there there's this emptiness to the space um to where it's almost like you hear the the echo the slight echoing um in that space like when things happen it's like when you hear that gunshot with nafrio like you hear it echoing in that like small bathroom like and and there's a sense of like uh, uh of space there um and of empty space that i noticed when people talk when people move um and so it's like this very tight quarters and at the same time like you know the sound like makes it expansive and um so when he's yelling like it like almost like slightly echoes with right. like and it's like it and, and it, i think it makes it more compelling i think it like you know focus focuses the movie in some way um so yeah and and i don't even know like necessarily where i'm going with that but it makes me pay attention more and then when you get into like the wide open space of the second half like i paid attention to the sound i i, I understand all the things you're talking about but it's like for some reason it's like there's something about like the 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 cavernous like kind of like you know echoey space of the beginning almost makes me pay attention more in some ways and I don't know why that is, um, but uh but yeah no it was an interesting movie to watch after thirty years almost or maybe a little less um for the first time in a while yeah and I did appreciate the second half more this time around um uh. I don't know. Maybe I was too young for like war movies and stuff like that. But um, I, I think I took more away from it this time around. But, yeah. Well, it also is not like I mean, even though it has scenes of combat, it's not filmed in a traditional. It's. I don't know. Like he he fluctuates in that last latter half of the movie between being very cinematic and very epic to the way he films stuff to mm-hmm. being like very small and tight. Right. Um, I mean, I to me, it's like that. The last thirty minutes of that movie is one of the greatest <clears throat> film cinematic recreations of war. I think, having not been in it myself, but um, in my opinion, ever like I put that on par with um some of the stuff on the river in uh, Apocalypse Now um the normandy invasion with Mm -hmm. uh saving private ryan i mean there's like very few movies that do such a good job of capturing i think the just like the random violence and absolute danger of being in like a situation like that Um, especially with how quickly he just kills characters and that's not dragged out at all you know they're just they're dead so yeah um but yeah i i love full metal jacket and i think that it's um its sound production is is pretty impressive yeah no it's definitely a movie like um outside of sound i'd like to revisit yeah a couple years down the road or something um 
All right, so number four on your list is 2014's Whiplash. It is directed by Damien Chazelle. It stars J.K. Simmons, Miles Teller, Melissa Benoist, and Paul Reiser. It has 94% from both critics and audiences. So you want to just tell us a little bit about this and uh, why, why you were impressed by the sound production? Um, so this was not on purpose at all, but I did put these two movies together for this reason. Um, similar in tone in some ways to full metal jacket um whiplash is the story of miles teller who's a promising young drummer who goes to an exclusive uh new york academy for the arts um whose dream is basically to be in <clears throat> what's considered like i guess like the top class of the school in terms of like the jazz band and that's um presided over by the uh, Simmons character who's um at first just seems like this hard but like you know this tough but like talented whatever you want to call it like teacher who's kind of like trying to push the best out of his students um and then you find out that he's just this kind of sadist who he uses the idea that somebody threw a symbol at Charlie Parker's head at one point to excuse like his own behavior and the way that he treats other people mm -hmm. um and it's increasingly more like unnerving when you watch it um not only what uh what is his name and the character's name in that movie miles teller or jk simmons jk simmons terrence fletcher yeah it's, so fletcher's um techniques become like increasingly more disturbing uh to the point where at one point um, the Miles Teller character is like rushing into a performance. He gets in a car accident where he's like seriously injured and still pushes himself to get on stage to play the drums um, for this performance. And then, um, yeah, just so first of all, from like a narrative, like a film standpoint, like two amazing performances, both from Simmons and Teller. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's filmed in a way where it feels like really tight and focused um in the small confines of like practice spaces and whatnot yeah um where it never gives you really a chance as a viewer to kind of rest like you're always sort of focused on like you're always like forced to be in the moment with them and um really impressed by i mean i guess that miles teller like trained on how to drum i didn't read anything about this movie so i don't know Mm -hmm. um but does a really good job like being a drummer and like you know handling his sticks and whatever um so from the sound production standpoint <clears throat> this is one where i guess like it's the most like classical idea of what sound production is in the sense that you're listening to um the way that the the way that the instruments are tuned and the sound of the instruments um I am not a musician really like I don't know a whole lot about like musical theory or tuning or anything like that but there really is a feeling of almost like insider info to the stuff when you when you see it like it really feels like you're in like that world right and you're kind of understanding like um like they never make it so complex that you can't like follow along as a layman but they also don't dumb it down to the point where you, that doesn't feel authentic. And so specifically the way the instruments are like mixed in this movie is um, 
very much in a way that kind of makes you like feel the discomfort that Teller's character is feeling or that the other characters are feeling like um, the sound of just the, them setting up the instruments like there's the thing where um, he's having them play I think it's Whiplash the song Whiplash and they get like a few minute break and the one guy like takes his reed out of his saxophone and just like or no he hits the spit valve and like it's just like spit just like pours out of it and it's you know really focuses on like the damage done to these people's bodies by how much they put themselves through in order to like get good at their um respective craft and especially teller um and there's just the way that the film like especially the drums because teller's a drummer so the central focus is like him like the way that they just i can't explain like the drums are so sharp and so loud in this movie and it's like they don't ever let you get the comfort of like an actual rhythm because fletcher is always stopping them you know during like my not my tempo not my tempo you know like doing the hand thing he does where he like kind of like pulls a fist in the air to stop him from so it keeps you on like edge in a lot of ways and which is amazing for a psychological thriller <clears throat> to do it within like not just the score of the movie which is usually how you know like one of the ways in a movie can like build tension and kind of um build a discomfort in you as a viewer but to like make make it a plot device that actually does that you know where it's not just the score it's like actually part of what you're getting in in the narrative of the movie i think it's um really effective and definitely makes you feel so uncomfortable when you're watching fletcher interact with um with his students yeah it's almost like the silence becomes almost like that element of the score because you're you're scared you're scared of how that silence is going to be broken sure by like the next thing that he says like you know the next way he abuses them yeah yeah they do it so well by like not oh he's not always an asshole like he has quiet moments to him but it's i guess it's like any abusive relationship like you know you don't know to your point right like when is it gonna end like when is it gonna be broken by the next insult or the next whatever so um and any movie that relies on music again is like a central part of its narrative like it's really important that you capture that music in the most um realistic and believable way and i think that this movie does a great job of kind of like capturing that feeling of being in band and kind of you know locked in practice for a long time and um yeah, I, I, and, I never had that experience, but I, I definitely get what you mean. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, the setting of this is, um, it makes me feel like I'm in that world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely a very, um, very small setting. Yeah, I this is one because I had never seen it before. I, I honestly, other than the obvious, I think things like since it involves music, I couldn't necessarily pay attention to like all the sound stuff that's going on in it as 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 I tried to um but uh if anybody hasn't seen this movie though i just want to say like this is a absolutely fantastic movie with 
two stellar performances um simmons wins an oscar for for this performance yeah. and and it's rightfully deserved uh, it's um as someone who's kind of we've seen his career from the get-go almost when he broke through in i guess in oz um all those years ago um it was really uh gratifying to see like him um you know this 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 workhorse kind of um in in, in television and film uh finally get to a point where it's like you know the the skill that he has was able to be utilized in such yeah. a such a good way um but yeah this is this it reminds me of like something almost like even though it's filmed like in a in a, in a fairly modern style like it, it reminded me of something from the 70s in terms of like the story behind it and the fact that it doesn't leave you with any easy answers um it's an abusive relationship but uh kind of like what we were talking about with full metal jacket it's like to some degree that abuse like ends up making him the drummer the best drummer that maybe he could be in some ways and um it it kind of doesn't give you any um you know full satisfaction i yeah. guess and it also makes the question I mean, is Simmons' character right about that Charlie Parker moment? Like, he's never had that ability to make somebody that great standout talent. And I guess he feels that it's the abuse that caused it to happen. So the question is, like, is that from Simmons' effort? Or is that just what was in Teller's character anyway? I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's it's not an easy... There's no easy answers, to, to your point, to anything in this movie. Yeah. And it's also very uncompromising. Um, I found it really interesting reading about criticism of this movie because it's really highly rated and was on like some ridiculous amount of top 10 lists, including like a large number of like number one movie of the year on people's lists. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a small amount of criticism though from the actual like music community and um, people that are in like jazz band and in... um, uh music education specifically that it's a really unfair and dangerous portrayal of how that world is in in reality um it is an unfair way to look at like that basically like these things don't happen anymore but so on one hand like i really like take that kind of criticism seriously because those are people that are like actually involved in the doing the thing that's being filmed you know it's like if you watch a movie about football, you want it probably to be reflective of how the actual experience of coaching and playing football is. Mm-hmm. And they should probably have the buy-in from people that really do it. So I'm curious, like, how much does it really matter that it takes place in that world? Because I I think at the end of the day, it's like, that story could be anything. You know, it could mm-hmm. be a tennis player. Or you could be, sure like, an architect or something, like mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. You could take the same two characters just change their vocation and you have a very similar experience right um see i don't know yeah but back to the the sound like this is by far like the most classical movie in terms of like the way the sound is mixed because it's meant to really put you into the position of being in the world of someone who's a professional musician or in this place like a semi-professional or a high high functioning amateur or whatever you want to call it um but yeah it's an amazing movie it sounds great like the music in it is fantastic and again like they never let you get too comfortable in listening to the music because it's always being stopped on you to like heighten tension which i think is 
an amazing like technique um and just really like great and worth watching um very uncompromising very uncomfortable but definitely like you know a worthwhile movie yeah probably it, it's very easily i think is like out of all the movies you've had me watch this year that i hadn't seen yet probably easily my favorite i think i'm really surprised you hadn't seen it yeah honestly because of the buzz that it got yeah. and just the fact that you know it's 2004 i wasn't frank i wasn't watching movies then yeah but i mean like it, it also wasn't available on streaming for a long time that i mm-hmm. know of so it's just been like yeah i just feel like because of how much you like simmons especially from oz and yeah just in general as an actor that you know maybe yeah. you would have like just I, 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 honestly it. i wasn't even paying attention to the oscars at that point like i, I just yeah. didn't even know i don't think yeah it's a really it's a fantastic movie Absolutely. definitely worth watching yeah all right uh number three on your list this movie we have talked about before uh uh, Barbarian Sound Studio from 2012 is directed by Peter Strickland, stars Toby Jones, Cosimo Fusco, and Hilda Peter. It has an 85% from critics, a 53% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So, um, why did you go ahead and include this on? So, to me, this is the film in this list that most exemplifies like what I think of when I think of sound production in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, like you said, we've talked about this movie before. So, psychological thriller that's ostensibly about this British man that's been sent to Italy to do the sound mixing on a horror film by this highly regarded like film director um, who's kind of like a new wave artsy classicist that still is like doing, you know, giallo like sex and murder style films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of morphs into being um almost like a lynchian mystery as to whether or not like it, it's it's one of my favorite tropes in a movie when it's done right which is unreliable narrator kind of mm-hmm. um because you start to doubt whether or not what you're even seeing is real or what is actually happening with um toby jones's character in the movie like is he always says he is um you know there's a lot of things called into question so really well done where like you never can tell if is it him that's being fucked with or is it because of his unreliable perception that you're seeing it from like a fucked up perspective i guess so right um but again if you go back and listen to our review of the movie you can hear us talk about it at length um so the sound production in this movie is maybe i mean it's really close to my favorite sound production ever in a horror film um, and from the very beginning, there he's mixing a movie called um, uh, the, the Equestrian Vortex, Vortex or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. yeah, um, which is nonsensical and really like does sound like something that you would see in a GL in like you know right. the mid seventies, which is when this movie takes place. Seventy four, I think, is the year that they say that it's being that it is whatever that they're in. Um, so it does this amazing conceit where you're listening to a movie being mixed in the studio and it's kind of showing you like the, like the, how the sausage is made portion of like how a mix happens in terms of like the Foley and the engineers and like what all these people are listening to. And 
how they're making the sound effects um which again like to me this the biggest comp to me in this is blowout just in the way that it shows like travolta in that behind the scenes way of like being like the sound mixer and the right. sound effects artist um but then also does an amazing job of its own sound in terms of like loud quiet loud mixes and the way that it'll um sort of like pull toby jones's like dialogue down and also puts him in a situation where he speaks no italian and all these people are speaking italian around him um and they mix it where like those italian voices overlap with each other at times mm-hmm. so even though you're seeing the subtitles on the screen you kind of get that same feeling almost of like paranoia that jones has that like are they talking about me am i missing something like what should i be hearing here um the way that they film this creation of the sound effects and there's a couple scenes with destroying melons and um, putting something in a blender to like kind of imitate a chainsaw and then jones like showing this way that you can use like a light bulb and um i can't remember what he's rubbing it against but something else to make like ufo sounds it's just there's so many like uh what's the word i'm looking for like insider info things in this movie um and the score and the mix of the actual like film within the film that you never never get to see any images from but you're so like aware of what this movie is which is basically like like a mid to late 70s argento style um supernatural giallo basically um and watching the women like record the screams and just the way that like i don't know it's just everything about the sound in this movie is so perfectly done and so integral to like the overall you know plot of the movie and making it successful and it's again like i think a reason why i i i am always kind of i typically am surprised by audience scores um especially when they're low because like i think the audience for this movie is very specific and i don't know who else would be watching it like i don't know who else it appeals to aside from somebody that it actually probably appeals to Mm -hmm. which is like me um and i love this movie like i think i think it's a movie that and this is the third time i've seen it that every time i watch it i see something every subsequent time i watch it i see something new that i didn't catch before and i kind of come away from it with a different feeling of what i think is happening in the movie um but just listening to it and like and the way that it, it there's something about watching the combination of the visual aspect of seeing them make the sound and hearing the sound that puts like so much more impact on the way that the sounds are presented right like it's you know you watch somebody get stabbed in a horror movie and you hear like the squelching of like a knife going into a body and there's a visceral reaction to that but there's almost like a visceral reaction in the other direction like watching it happen when they're stabbing a bunch of melons Mm -hmm. or when he's like imitating hair being ripped out of someone's head by taking like two radishes and like you know twisting and pulling the stems off the radish it's just it's brilliant and it's all really unsettling to watch it happen because it's almost 
this movie's filmed in like a vacuum almost where Jones is kind of like stuck in this purgatory of a series of like rooms that are kind of like not interlinked at all and he just is in them yeah um and to have like the sound like the dissonance of what you're hearing and knowing like you know hearing like the the film run through the projector in the background like almost constantly because you know they're recording sound over like the dailies they're recording it over like the the film um i don't know i think all of that stuff is just super brilliant and i think it's really effective um and i think it's a really just like an amazingly done psychological horror film that it in my opinion is like not as respected as it should be um and i think it's because it's so it's so subtle with the story it's telling and it's very it does not give you um doesn't give you an easy answer at the end like you don't know i don't know not at all um you have to like make those answers yourselves i think maybe that's why it's like not as highly considered but um i think it's a great movie i think toby jones is great in it um and again like the sound production is just it's just brilliant like and watching that stuff happen you know and listening to it and seeing it is um it's a really cool effect and it's something that's kind of wholly unique to the to this movie and anything i've seen like even with blowout there still is like a feeling of narrative there where you're not like actually it's still telling a story even though it's kind of showing it to you like here it's like that is the story is you watching you know him do his job basically yeah and i I think the first time i watched it like that's why i liked it because it was it was so different it was so unique and intriguing like i don't know anything about what they call folio work or whatever like foley work foley um like and it's like i so i found like that world really interesting and then it turns into this quasi horror movie with them making a horror movie maybe a horror movie and it's like and then it becomes like you said an unreliable third right. uh, uh, you know a narrator like type thing like and it's like i so i was intrigued by it the first time and i really liked it i think i liked it even better the second time and i started noticing too um you're right i think the score behind when he's doing things like stabbing the melon and stuff like that there's like this like you said you know, i think you compare it to lynch a little bit and it's like the, the, there's like kind of like a lynchian element to the score at times um of just the kind of this like tense drawn out sound behind things right. um that like i think makes it even makes those kind of things disturbing to some degree and uh i noticed that he not only does he morph those sound like kind of segue those sounds and cut those sounds like from like where he's creating the sounds and then like you'll hear like them playing the movie or something like that like in the background of the next scene and it's like you know you know what's going on but like he also ends up doing it to where it's like there's a sound being created or a sounds in the movie and then the next scene starts and it's kind of reality or at least toby jones perception of reality and like that sound is being is something completely different that you didn't expect so it's like he's almost being very meta about the entire thing to where it's like you know these sounds just kind of can stand in for so many different things um and so he ends up getting cut together a lot of times like you know as one scene cuts to another like the sound is uh, the 
is the thing that keeps it consistent it's 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 pretty fascinating um and it keeps you off kilter i think a little bit because it's like that that's like it's like what's it's like just as he's questioning maybe reality it's like you're questioning the reality of things of what like what's real and what's not and you know these sounds but and then obviously it's like this love letter i think to like that that art um of doing that because it's like i find it fascinating that that there's people that exist in the world that pay attention to sound so much that they can it's like i want this sound i want flesh being stabbed and they can almost make go through a rolodex of things that could sound like that and it's like they're experts at at this and i think that's a fascinating fascinating field and um it's uh it was really cool to see it like in a movie but um but yeah, no, I, I really like this even better the second time. It's, it's definitely something I'll revisit um, in the future. So let me tell you what my thought is on this movie now. Mm-hmm. I never noticed before. So very early on when he's first at the Barbarian Sound Studio, he's in his room and he's looking at um, comparing the sound chart to like a cue card that's got the script on it which is saying like where the different like beats of sound come in. So I, I, I didn't pay attention the last two times I watched it, but this time it sort of caught my attention and I stopped. If you look at that cue card closely at the beginning, it's got nothing to do with um, the equestrian vortex movie. Hmm. It's a narrative of a British man murdering a woman. Hmm. Um, it's like his, his horrible, like boots on the the hallway or whatever like if you look at it like it's basically just like this dude murdering this lady and they only ever call him um uh, what's the character's name in the movie uh gilderoy Um, right gilderoy yeah yes they only ever call him gilderoy they never call him by his first name but on this cue card it only uses the person's first name Hmm. so i think what the movie is is i think that he's in some sort of like self-inflicted purgatory either he's dead or he's just so insane that this is what he's seeing Mm -hmm. and he either murdered like his wife or his mother and that's the um he did it in his shed there there's a, a a few things small things that i think you're supposed to clue you into like where he did it what he did and who he killed but that it's his guilt over doing those things um that's what you're seeing in that movie um him him like oh i've never done a horror movie before like all that stuff you know i think that all of it is just that he's someone that snapped and murdered a loved one or significant other um and can't face his own guilt um which is why i think like the transformation at the end both with the idea that you know did they torture that woman and you know all of a sudden he can like speak italian and stuff like all that stuff i think is a clue that that's him coming to the realization of what he did so that's my take on barbarian sound studios yeah, i almost want to watch it again now i can pay attention to some of those little things more like that um yeah this is on what amc plus right now i think um yes. yep exactly where it's at and i did see that um it will be coming on shutter soon um as part of like their 60 days of horror because strickland has a new movie that's going to debut on shutter um sometime in september october 
um i don't know if you heard this frank but it's uh the premise is a group of experimental performance artists known known for their process of sonic catering um where they extract disturbing sounds from various foods take up residency at a remote uh artistic institution run by this like you know enigmatic director um and i mean I, you can just almost imagine like part of the plot like you know of that like um almost being something very similar about you know yeah. in terms of um probably how wild it can get like you know and yeah i'd yeah. be interested in um in watching it yeah no absolutely um uh yeah it's called uh flux gourmet um oh is that what that is yeah oh okay so but uh yeah no he's he's a really uh really interesting director um it's a, it's a really good movie and definitely worth checking out i think um, toby jones is a super underrated dude too when it comes to like oh yeah awkward creepiness basically right um and that's the other thing too is that like it builds him not in confidence but in like almost like craven cunning kind of in the way that it builds his character yeah i'm I'm almost positive that he's a murderer oh i mean i i think it ties in because i mean by the end of that movie even inside of, even if it's like a fantasy or a purgatory or whatever like you know it's uh, he, he's become a he's become an abuser himself yeah um you know where he's uh you know abusing like he's basically repeating what happened almost like before because like yeah i think you're right i mean about like that aspect of it like you know there's the um sexual assault like of the first actress and then there's like the verbal mental abuse of like this actress where it seems like it's just going to repeat itself like you know all over again so there's this idea of mm. repetition as well which if it's all in his head kind of like that ties in probably that it's just like repeating in his head over and over again yeah. like <sighs> um yeah i think it's um I think it's really well filmed too. I mean, I oh, think yeah. the the cinematography of it um is pretty amazing. Uh it's it's got this sleazy small like Italian giallo feel to it, but then it also has almost like a German existentialist like nightmare feel, which in that respect it is very lynchian, I guess, in the way that he films it, but um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not a movie for everybody, and I I think that some people would tell you that it's really boring or that like nothing is happening. But I think if you enjoy psychological horror and you are okay with kind of like suspending your disbelief and just like opening yourself up to the experience, I think it's definitely worth watching. So, no, absolutely. Okay, so number two and one on your list is 1979's Alien, directed by Ridley Scott and 1977's star wars a new hope directed by george lucas um i could think i can understand probably genre wise you why you want to talk about these together so um um so yeah what what, why do you think that these like you know um are one and two on your list for sound production um so i don't think either of these movies needs like really any introduction or like over discussion of the plot because who doesn't know alien and who doesn't know star wars um but i think it's really interesting to think about these two movies and their influence on the same genre in like two wildly divergent ways right Mm -hmm. so to me alien is the genesis point of 
the modern realistic science fiction film like where it's not fantastical it's not um whatever you want to call it like operatic science fiction it's more grimy like in the trenches science fiction like the crew of the nostromo you know they're truckers they're space truckers basically hauling freight and i think that it can't be understated how much influence the way that scott films the utilitarian sounds of their spaceship like so and I noticed it immediately, like when when you first start the movie, and it's it's one of the things I love the most about the movie is that opening scene, the opening like scene over the credits of the different parts of the Nostromo while the crew is still asleep. So it's like the reflections on their helmets and the computer like databases like working or whatever. There's so much sound there that's so prescient into the late 80s and early 90s of electronic sounds, like Mm -hmm. even to the point of capturing like in our modern era, like the kind of like tinny like dings and beeps and whines and Mm -hmm. just the way that they capture the internal hum of that ship. Um, with just the subtle score, like kind of interweaving through those sounds, but never like overwhelming those sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates this really great feeling of isolation in that movie, and this really great feeling of like utilitarian industrialism set in space, right? Like it feels like something that you would hear in like a factory or an yes. office or something like that, yes. but made just and pardon the pun, but just alien enough. Mm-hmm. where it feels like otherworldly to that point and so when you introduce the element of the fantastical which is you know the the wreck spaceship and the face face hugger chest burster you know big chap or whatever they call it, like all that stuff eventually um you're already so invested in the realism of that world that it makes it that much more tense you know to watch like those things happen like to watch this the movie play out right i also was really impressed with the sound inside the spaceship itself like um when they're in you know when they're on their exploratory mission and they're walking through like the squelch and again there's like this ambient hum that that scott like places almost like underneath everything that never lets you never gives your ears peace in order to like i don't exactly want to say this you never get a moment's peace to think but you don't realize that you don't have a moment's peace to think does right. that make sense it does so like you're so like kind of just put on like this almost unconscious edge by the way that he like moves sound through that movie that you're never like comfortable watching it. Like it's always uncomfortable and it's really brilliant. And again, like you watch stuff from, you know, Carpenter and um, movies that came later, things like uh, um, whatever that fuck, (laughs) I can't think of that fucking movie. Um, Goddamn Carpenter movie. No, no, no. The 
oh fucking hellraiser in space fucking um oh um event horizon event horizon right like yeah. movies like that where um and like blade runner and like things that came later they take like a lot from what scott does here and take that sound and it kind of becomes like almost the de facto way that people present like space if they're doing yes. it in a way that's supposed to seem realistic um and you know it's super prescient in the sense that like they it really is how like the future at that point would have sounded you know in a you know a decade's time from decade decade and a half time from when this movie came out so yeah but people have put their own, maybe their own twist or like their own unique things they've done over time on it but this is like basically like the the baseline for science fiction in space i think yes. in the modern day i mean like you can even take it up to like what like the expanse like in the past few years which is like a grandchild i think of the way they present a lot of that kind of stuff um uh, in that show like in terms of like the sound and the machinery and you know like how everything's very workmanlike um like those factory sounds I, I think it's it's very similar i mean i think whedon took you know cues of that 20 years ago like with firefly i mean i th yeah i think that um yeah i mean i think it's interesting that you pick both these movies um because i do think it's like two different two different visions um and and I think they each have their disciples, kind of, um, as years have went, years went on by, like in terms of like sound, kind of, and like how space is portrayed. And it's interesting you brought a Firefly because I think Firefly is the perfect amalgamation between these two things. Mm. So let's talk about Star Wars then a little bit. Yeah. Um. So Star Wars is probably more influential but is the opposite direction. So Star Wars is like the sound of like, how to say this, like imaginary space, right? Mm -hmm. Like whereas Alien is the sound of um, realistic space, like Star Wars is lasers. And I 100% believe that like, you can't have a door raise electronically without like some aspect of star wars coming into it with the right the sounds of the doors opening the sounds of like tie fighters in space you know when when you're outside in the strama which is this noisy mm -hmm. here and it's basically the hum of the engine and like it, it in my opinion it imitates the idea of the pressure from like being in the vacuum of space like pushing in on your head Mm -hmm. whereas in star wars you have this like tremendous score like probably one of the best scores ever written for film sure. and the whoosh and uh, movement of like the tie fighters and the x-wings and the sound of the lasers you know when you think about the iconic sounds that um um that came out of star wars like hundreds of them hundreds right. of them <laughs> that you can just simply identify yeah so like there's probably very few people alive today, and I would say this even globally, that would not hear the sound of a lightsaber and immediately know what they were hearing. Like a lightsaber being ignited is one of the most iconic sounds in all the film. The sound of like the pew 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 of like the laser blast is something that's become like 
you know, um, omnipresent, I think, in our science fiction. Um, you hear, like, the breathing of Vader, like, you know, his respirator, like, it's immediately recognizable what you're hearing. Um, just everything in those movies, and it's like... C-3PO's walking, right. R2, R2, all R2's the R2 sounds. Beeps. Yep. And the thing is, is that it's not just because of the culture, it's it's almost like part and parcel where it's not just because star Wars is so popular that you recognize those sounds, but also because of those sounds that star Wars is so recognizable and popular, you know? And I think that there's a lot to be said for how much influence, you know, those movies have on modern science fiction, like that people will always like associate those sounds with not just the star wars universe but also space in general and like fantasy space and mm -hmm. so it's crazy to think that these two movies that came out like two years apart and are so wildly different because to me alien is first and foremost a horror movie and just a horror movie that's set in a science fiction you know it's 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 the premise of this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's basically the premise of something like a Friday the 13th movie, which is a group of like unsuspecting people that are at the mercy of an unstoppable killer, you know? Sure. And just in like a completely unique environment for the time. Right. Um, but it's really like, a, like two places, two films where you can see an immediately identifiable impact on the way that like all films of their kind were filmed forever after you know you will never have you can never make a science fiction movie without being influenced in some way from an audio standpoint by one of those two movies you look at stuff like even things like um Battlestar Galactica uh, the tv mm -hmm. series from the late 90s early 2000s whenever that was um for all of its flaws, I think one of the greatest things that ever did was it It kind of took the ideas from those movies and made them almost like avant-garde, sort of, like the way that they film sound. Mm -hmm. um, I love the way that Battlestar Galactica does, like somebody getting pushed into space and just like immediately stopping all of the sound in your ears, mm -hmm. sure. um, which feels like a rush like away from you. Um, and then the influence, I think, on Star Wars and um, Alien is is 2001. Like, I think that's, like, where all that stuff comes from. And it's a movie I thought about talking about because there's a lot of that. But I don't like 2001. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about it. Um, but they took Kubrick's ideas and they made it more palatable for, like, a general audience, right? And, again, just in, like, there's two different ways. Like, you have the realistic aspect of alien and then the fantastical aspect of star Wars. Um, and just really something that, you know, you'll watch. I mean, you watch the expanse. Like I watched the season of the expanse mm -hmm. and you see it there, you know, you see it in the yeah. way that it's, the sound is mixed in the way that they film like combat scenes and interior scenes. And it's just, um, yeah. Yeah. And another fascinating thing with these two movies is the, one probably doesn't get made without the other. I mean, Alien was kind of just sitting there and nothing was happening until Star Wars became popular and then Alien suddenly gets greenlit. Um, 
and yeah i mean like i said like you know it's 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 two different i think visions in some way right. um but it's like but it, it really didn't i think take star wars to get you know to get alien done and i think uh i think alien has uh much more uh, this is that's a ridiculous comment i i think it has a much more ubiquitous influence alien probably does even if star wars as a universe has more influence in toto like um in pop culture um much more iconic sounds i think in you know star wars uh, much more uh, you know but um but i think in terms of how space is portrayed how sound is portrayed in space i think alien is obviously the one that like most people like gravitate towards like you know more so um hmm. yeah. As, yeah as years as years have went on um well because you can't really that's the thing is that because alien went in a utilitarian direction like you can take sounds that alien did and it's not immediately like oh well that's the whatever like the computer booting up in this scene or whatever whereas in star wars like if you use a lightsaber sound effect number one you're probably gonna get sued right. <laughs> like everybody immediately knows what that sound is yeah well what i mean by that is like you take something like um oh god let me think of an example i'm always terrible with this a galaxy quest um okay it's comedy right but it's a sci-fi comedy but it's like the sounds in that are much more reminiscent of like the creation of sounds in star wars and it's like Star Wars is the predecessor to like probably the sounds and something like Galaxy Quest to me. It's not Alien, right. <laughs> um, you know, but I think much more people have taken influence probably from Alien than they have from Star Wars um, because I, and maybe it's because it's so damn iconic. There's so many sounds and it's maybe cartoony at times um, that maybe that's why it ends up in Galaxy Quest because it's a comedy. Right. I, you know, but, right. um, but in terms of a real, more realistic look at space, I mean, alien is, is definitely the one I think that stands the test of time kind of, um, like you said, even the, I mean, we can imagine possibly even more, more than ever what space travel might look like if, po you know, like long-term if possible. And it, it's good. It certainly looks more like alien. Um, than it does star wars like um like all that uh yeah yeah what's interesting too talk like kind of, not to tie everything in my life back to david lynch but um lynch is also obsessed with machinery and factories and it's interesting that this is only a couple years removed also from those factory sounds of a racer head um right. and stuff like that and um I, we'll talk about it more in a few weeks i guess but it's like I, I really wonder like just you know how many people i mean kubrick says that like Eraserhead was like his favorite movie mm -hmm. um it's like i just wonder how at the time i would like to hear maybe i'll research that like what other directors thought when they saw Eraserhead. um because it makes me wonder like about like how other people viewed that and if they saw it as a source of inspiration or not yeah, I'd imagine it was probably pretty influential. Um, I don't know. But yeah, you don't hear like people just like talking about it, like, you know, like often, like especially like other filmmakers and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, like I, I just wonder, like, um, but yeah, the, the, the cold metal of space and stuff like that. I, I really, 
Aliens is another one that I just kind of like. I both this kind of just like listen to both these movies, and my, my biggest takeaways is, is Alien is like. I don't think you can understand what's going on necessarily all the time by just listening to it. Um, but you, it's the, the sense of mood and like, you know, that the sense of place and stuff like that, like, you know, you definitely know you're in like the coldness of space in a metal yes. box. Yeah. But like the thing that would impress me about star Wars was just the sheer number of sounds that had to be created for that and how well known they are right yeah i mean that's complete innovation there like yeah and uh, some of that stuff some of it he pulls from his love of like the the 40s and 50s like serials um and radio plays because um lucas was really big into um like the old uh like the shadow and stuff like that the stuff that would be on the radio on like the sunday night where you would listen to it so he knew a lot about like sound effects from that um but yeah like basically created an entire almost like auditory language like nonverbal language with you know where you know like if you're talking about somebody being menacing you can go like and like everyone immediately understands what you're talking sure. about sure or like you can like flick your wrist and be like, and like people know. Well, I didn't do that sound effect very well, but <laughs> I guess maybe like and like you could like imitate like a lightsaber, and people would you know understand exactly what you're right. talking about. So, and that's that's an accomplishment that's really hard to like yeah. understate, like how how amazing it is. So yeah, no, absolutely, um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, well, after the, the, I I really like to hear you because you know uh, you focus a lot more on, I guess like the traditional elements of sound production and a little less on the score. I'd really like to like listen hear like what your like scores and stuff are someday too, like another element of like sound production. Um, like what your top scores are of all time. Um, yeah, because they're I, soundtracks and scores, I guess. Right? I mean, yeah. To me. I'm actually not like a good score is definitely something that you notice and is appealing but to me I'm more about soundtracks than scores yeah um like again I think that right now I think that Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson um are the masters of the modern score or the modern soundtrack like mm -hmm. really picking exactly the right music to fit in and that's an influence from tarantino because tarantino was probably in the modern era the first guy to really like truly craft a soundtrack in a way that wasn't just i'm putting a bunch of songs from bands that you know so i can sell an album it's like i want to forever associate stuck in the middle with you with a man getting his ear cut off you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and that's when anderson pt anderson and wes anderson like sort of picked up on is that you know can you hear um the i believe in miracles whatever it's called you sexy thing song without thinking about you know philip seymour hoffman like oogling mark Wahlberg, right like right. immediately sure you know i hear like you got the touch you got the power and like i don't think about transformers i think about Wahlberg in the studio um and it's like 
it's it's just it's really amazing like ways to take another movie that does it really well is monster do you remember monster with um charlie's there yeah christina ricci and charlie's there on yeah uh-huh. like don't stop believing and crimson and clover like ruined uh-huh. forever because of that movie right sure yeah. because it's so uncomfortable to watch it but like yeah. there's such an art to someone taking a song and subverting its meaning or use over an image on film that makes it indelible and like makes it immediately recognizable in your brain like if you've seen the movie where you can never hear that song without thinking of that scene again so to me like that's the thing that i really love is is the creative use of soundtrack as opposed to score you know yeah yeah and see i mean i i think i like both i mean because there are so many like movies that like for scores that i find fascinating and um but um i think uh, like specifically like a spike lee pops out like you know like the scores like spike lee jordan peele is actually the same way now i think about it both of them actually are really effective at using both score i think so far um in peele's career score and um soundtrack like you know in conjunction with one another um yeah. at times um but spike lee's really effective uh, of with that as well um of, of picking like you know specific songs that go really well but also having like a a strong score in a lot of his movies um but yeah i uh it's interesting goldsmith uh jerry goldsmith does aliens score um and goldsmith's like a like it's so funny like williams and then goldsmith's goldsmith's filmography is crazy i don't know if you ever looked at jerry goldsmith's filmography for the scores he's done it's just insane like the number of like classic stuff that he's done what's funny is like alien isn't one of the ones that sticks out to me in terms of score necessarily um but this is the guy that like did you know poltergeist gremlins Right. um you know twilight's in the movie like i mean it's like there's so much like you know um he did i know a couple like at least one or two of the rambo movies like um there's, there's all kinds of stuff inner space i know you don't you know but it burbs actually like has a real fun score um it's just total recall i know he did like it's all kinds of like so much like like hundreds of movies um that you know and uh yeah, I mean, and just in his filmography, there's like tons of things that have really great scores to them. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that you that you focus more on the soundtrack. Um, I think it's because like, even though I've played instruments in my life, mm-hmm. I'm not like trained at all musically. So you're trained more than I am. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I I can appreciate a good score, but I think there's something about orchestral music that just kind of Like, I look at something like Texas Chainsaw, and that's, like, a score that I could... I, maybe we could do scores. Maybe we'll do score and we'll do soundtrack at some point. So, yeah. yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Something to think about someday. All right. Um, so, next week, we are going to do... I guess it's probably the most subjective list ever, maybe, is Frank's top five most disappointing movies mm. um, of all time um which was something of a list to um to get through um so that should be interesting and then we'll be finishing up the month with the top five horror movies in 1977 any final thoughts this week frank 
I like it when we do lists that are kind of different than our normal lists that we would do. Um, Just because I have to watch movies a little bit different. It's one of the reasons why I like, you know, we do like the spin chagrin or whatever. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy doing those things because I'm not like, I don't know. It just makes it different, like a different approach to watching it. And I really liked watching these movies, like more focusing on, like not even like sometimes not even watching the movie just like kind of sitting here and like just listening to what was happening and kind of trying to identify like what's happening in the scene like you know having the visual come into my head so i thought that was really interesting and um i'm really looking forward to like if we're going to do soundtrack and score to do that because um especially soundtrack like i just yeah that's really exciting to me yeah cool we just do it now i got (laughs) yeah i'm sure you probably already got the list going in your head right now i have three of them i think all right oh <laughs> uh, all right well thank you for listening everybody and since you mentioned spencer chagrin frank um this past week uh jungle antics frank watched jungle cruise the uh the rock movie and then uh this coming week's category is you want to get nuts let's get nuts so we'll see uh coming this coming tuesday what frank ends up choosing to watch for that so thank you for listening have a good week yep deuces